be seated, please. connection 
indicating that she, in her role as a bookkeeper, was transporting cocaine. And it's our position that that influenced the jury to believe that Alfredo was directing her to do so. Did they argue that in closing? Is that supported in the charge? In closing, Josephine was mentioned two times. And while the government says that those mentions were in passing, there were still two references to Josephine's conviction, both when discussing the amount of drugs that were found, well, in one instance, when discussing the amount of drugs that were found to have occurred in this case, and second, when saying that these three individuals, Mr. Casas, Mr. Rodriguez, and Mr. Hinojosa, had no problem letting other co-conspirators get arrested for similar offenses. So to go back to, it is the government's burden to prove that this error was harmless, and they have not done that. The evidence unfairly suggested that Mr. Hinojosa had the men's rate for drug trafficking, and this was necessary for a conviction on count 25. Whereas the jury might well have had a reasonable doubt about this based on the evidence. Also, the government cannot show that evidence of Josephine's conviction did not prejudice the jury. I'd like to briefly address my second point, which is the drug quantity, and that it was miscalculated. Here, there was insufficient evidence of more than five kilograms of cocaine, so the conviction should be reduced from a B1A to a B1B, and this case should be remanded for resentencing. Let me ask you, was there, there was a contemporary objection to the Josephine evidence, right? Yes, Your Honor. And did the court give limiting instruction? I do not believe so. Well, from what I understand, at some point the court gave an instruction that you don't import evidence about one defendant to another one or something like that. That is correct, Your Honor, and the final jury instructions before the jury. So what did the judge say about the objection? At the time that the objection was made, the judge had a question about the relevance when a brief bench conference was held. At that time, Mr. Lewis, who was representing Mr. Hinojosa, argued about the relevance of Josephine's admission, and the court had a question as to the timing in the indictment and to the time that the arrest of Josephine occurred. At that time, the government said that the period of the indictment went beyond the time in which Josephine was arrested. Well, that's not my question. My question is whether, so obviously the judge let in the evidence, but at that time, was he asked to give a limiting instruction? No, Your Honor. That's all I need. Thank you. Can I just ask one quick question, please? The ineffective, well, I want to start over. Hinojosa urges a limited remand of district court regarding ineffective assistance of counsel. Why would this be so unique or special that it goes outside what we normally do on an IAC claim on direct appeal? Of course, that's without prejudice if it's denied, and you do it later with a 2255. So why would we have a limited remand, I suppose, before we decide this case? Your Honor, we believe that in this instance, because Mr. Hinojosa had already signed a plea agreement with one set of counsel and then acquired new counsel and immediately withdrew that plea agreement, 
that there is a unique line of questioning that should go into the effectiveness of this assistance of counsel at that time. But no effect on the trial. Correct. Other than ineffective counsel. That's correct. Thank you. Good morning. May it please the court, my name is Camille Knight and I represent Martine Salvador-Rodriguez. To pick up on the court's questions from the last argument, this case really is an example of why appellate courts should not completely abdicate their responsibility to review jury verdicts. With regard to the conspiracy counts... Excuse me. Would you pull down the mic, please? Yes, I'm sorry. This is an example of why courts of appeal should not abdicate their responsibility. I don't think anyone's lobbying for that. No. I hope I didn't come across like that, Judge. In the conspiracy counts, the reason why the piling of inferences upon inferences becomes important to all of the defendants, and particularly Mr. Rodriguez, is because the government needed to prove three things. Knowledge, participation, and agreement. Now, you're talking about count 20? 20 and 25, Your Honor. 20 and 25. Yes. Now, the government will surely point to some timing issues about that proof and the co-location of circumstances that could, at some point, evidence someone's consciousness of guilt. And without conceding those, I would point the court to record evidence that the main drug dealer in this case testified that there was no understanding with management about drug sales in the bathrooms between 2012 and 2015. There were no conversations about drug sales with the bathrooms, and in fact, the government pointed out to the district court that the Title III intercepts of the drug dealer's phone calls were not particularly interesting because the drug dealers did not talk to management and did not talk about management. So, as the co-location of circumstances may have come up, we contend that Mr. Rodriguez, that there was no proof that Mr. Rodriguez joined in any conspiracy prior to 2015. Some witnesses say 2014 or 2015, and there are three particular instances that the government may point to, but it's important to see the timing of those. First is, in the spring of 2015, Mr. Rodriguez was being followed. He called the cop-turned-informant, Eddie Gabriel. There were discussions after that, and it became clear that the FBI was investigating drug dealing at the clubs. That happened in April 2015. The second instance that the government may point to is a period of time after drug sales had stopped and then had resumed after a number of months, and Mr. Rodriguez told someone at the clubs to please allow his guys who were Gucci to come back in, and that person took it to mean that he wanted people doing bad things to come back into the clubs. That happened in 2016. And the third was an instance in which a paid informant saw Mr. Rodriguez have a conversation, the content of which is unknown, with someone in a washroom as he washed his hands and left. That also happened in 2016. The import of that is that given the government's math that it pitched to the jury about drug quantities 
It's impossible to get to five kilos unless you go back to 2013. We contend that it's improper to go back to 2013, and the only way the jury could have gotten to the requisite drug amount was to use the 14 kilograms of coke taken from Josephine Hinojosa months after the last substantive buy at the clubs at issue. Her arrest was in February 2017. The last substantive buy was in October 2016. And finally, Your Honor, was there a chart or something at the trials of the government that gave the amounts of the coke? Of the cocaine, yes, Your Honor. There was a chart, and I can find that exhibit for you in rebuttal. The total weight of all the undercover buys without packaging was 20.8 grams. I think that record site is 82.18-19. And it's important to note that the jury here did not reach verdicts on any of the substantive counts prior to 2016. The only substantive verdict they reached for any of the defendants was October 2016. And the time of the conspiracy alleged in the indictment is much broader. The jury obviously thought that those substantive offenses were not proven. Thank you, Your Honors. All right. Thank you very much. Ms. Bacchus, good morning. Counsel. And may I please the court? I'm Shirley O'Dell here to represent Mr. Casas in the case where he was convicted of three of the 17 counts with which he was charged, two of which are conspiracies. The first is a conspiracy to violate the 856 statute, which, of course, the court is aware of the leading case in this circuit is the Chen decision. And then the other conspiracy is count 25, where essentially, as the government argued during the trial, the drug buys that occurred during the course of the almost three and a half years periodically were used to support not only 856, but extrapolated to support count 25. If we reject the argument about how to properly interpret 
something one of the agents remarks upon during the testimony, which is, here's Mr. Cassis, specifying what one of the persons who are selling these quantities in the bathroom says, don't let Cassis see you selling drugs. And then as late as December of 2015, he is still instructing Rendon to stay on the bathrooms at the club and to make sure that that is occurring. And that is consistent with his behavior. That is a different question entirely of whether or not there was knowledge of what was going on. And to be more pointed, Judge Elrod, in response to your question, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that Mr. Casas is ever instructing anyone to allow, to allow these sales in the bathroom. And yes, we do believe the evidence is insufficient. On the question that co-counsel have raised regarding Josephine Hinojosa, in addition to the question we have raised and has been adopted by the other appellants of this business of let's redefine money laundering with an expert witness, both of these pieces of evidence are, do not pass the relevancy test. What kind of creature is the evidence about Josephine Hinojosa? Mr. Casas' counsel did what he could. He sought to find out anything and everything about 404B. Is that what it is? There's certainly no proof whatsoever that Josephine Hinojosa was a co-conspirator. It's just something that is procedurally inappropriate to throw something in an indictment. In both of those instances that we've signed where you do not have the ability to challenge them and you interdict it and keep the judge out of the equation. I believe my time is up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ms. Hayworth. May it please the Court. Gail Hayworth on behalf of the United States. Now, I'll address the arguments that the defendants raised and leave the rest of the issues. We'll rest on our briefs for that. Regarding the first issue that Casas raised about the sufficiency of the evidence supporting his convictions on Count 19 and Count 20, which are the managing and drug premises counts, the conspiracy and the substantive count, we argue that the issue would be governed by plain error because he raised specific grounds for his Rule 29 motion in the district court that are separate from those grounds he's raising now for the first time, which is that there was insufficient evidence of the actus reus. There is more than enough evidence to support that there was evidence of the actus reus, that is, that he made the place available for drug dealers to use. Who are you talking about? Casas. And his argument otherwise is that 
a lack of evidence. Yes, Your Honor. He said, let them come into the bathrooms and sell drugs, or that he was on the take with it, or that he somehow benefited from them doing the drugs, rather than to the contrary, that the evidence was people didn't want him to see that they were selling drugs. Well, the making a place available includes failing to remove the drug dealers. So it's the flip side of the same coin. If you're allowing drug dealers to enter and allowing them to stay, you're also failing to remove them and failing to deny them entry. But didn't he, there's evidence that at a certain time period, he wanted them gone. Well, the evidence is that he knew from before 2013 that they were regularly doing this in the clubs, that we have repeat players coming in every weekend from that way after the point that he knew and selling drugs, and it's happening, he's letting it happen. We also have an intercepted phone call from March 25, 2015, where he knows that his marching orders to CASA have been to be a little flex, let the drug dealers deal, once in a while clean it up. And so the evidence is that they are continually selling in the clubs. The only break comes when he knows he's worried about the FBI investigating him after the March 2015 break. At that point, he says, okay, let's tighten up the clubs. So they go on hiatus for a little bit. But once their business suffers because they're no longer allowing cocaine sales in the clubs, then they decide, okay, let's let them back in, but let's try and be a little more discreet about it. And so... Is there evidence that CASA acquiesced and agreed to that? Yes. I mean, he's in charge of all the employees, and so if you have a concert of actions, consistent response to the drug dealers that the clubs are doing, and he's in charge of the employees, it's a fair inference that he's allowing it. In addition to that, we have testimony that people saw him talking to the main dealer in the clubs, that he told the security guard that you could keep a payment that a drug dealer gave you. And then when, after the drug deal hiatus, or the drug sale hiatus, he advocated in that management decision to let the drug dealers back in because business was suffering. Okay. What about the conspiracy with Josephine and also the amount of drugs? Okay. So turning to that issue, the district court did not substantially abuse its discretion in finding that testimony was relevant because it proved up... What was relevant? I couldn't hear you. Sorry. The testimony regarding the Josephine traffic stop because it proved up a specific allegation in the indictment. What did it prove up that's in the indictment, and how does it link to the defendants? So the government viewed this as another instance during the relevant timeframe of the conspiracy where Hinojosa is entangling his business with drug trafficking, and so it alleged a specific traffic stop in the indictment. His business. It's her side deal, right? And it's done not in the club at all. That's right. It wasn't in the club. But it's a fair inference that his business was involved because she's taking a long-distance trip with a large amount of kilograms of cocaine and in close proximity the books of the company. His words from what? The fact that she worked there is the only inference that she had materials that belonged to the company because she also works there? The inference that she brought those books because she needed them while she was transporting this large 
uh, killed everyone in with cocaine. She, that she wouldn't she bring on. She's on the trip for, for drug deal. She's going to do her legitimate job while she's on her drug deal. Right. And the defense is not tied to the company to the drug deal. Well, the, the, the defense definitely argued that it was just a coincidence that she had that. Um, but if the jury uh, agreed with the government that it was reasonable to infer that she was on the cast of, you know, his businesses, then it would be relevant. Did they pay for her trip? I mean, the evidence that they bought her airline tickets or gas bills or something along the Was there something like this was a business trip that would tie it to the business? There was no evidence of that nature, Your Honor. Um, it was just the inference would arise from the fact that she brought them with her and that they were in close proximity to drugs. She but brought them with her. She didn't say anything about her drug deals, right? There's nothing you would have said, oh, on page 23 of the books of the company, the blessed is drug deal, if that was the case. These books have nothing to do with her drug deal, right? With her, with her drug deal for that? Yes, her 14 kilos. I mean, we argued that it did, that she wouldn't have brought up unless she needed it. No, but some books don't detail. That's right. They don't explicitly say. That's right. They don't explicitly say in the Excel file, this is a drug deal, 14 kilos for this amount. It doesn't say that. And if it's in there, it's uh, not going to be that direct. Um, but even if this court thinks that it was error for the court to find that to be relevant, it was um, clearly harmless. The evidence against Hinojosa was just overwhelming. You have controlled bias, co-conspirator testimony, recorded, and much of it was Hinojosa's own words in intercepted phone calls and recorded statements where he says, customers complain, so I got a little more flat. Um, I was worried about the FBI, so that's why I tightened it up. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. How much did the Josephine testimony uh, uh, what role did it play vis-a-vis the entire trial? It was a very small part of the trial. Um, from what I remember, it was 19 pages from over 3,600 pages. Of um, only one defendant objected. Only one defendant objected, that's right. And they didn't ask for a limiting instruction. They did not. In the court, in its general instructions, gave uh, the, the instruct of the jury that you can't find someone guilty merely by association. So the evidence supporting the five kilogram quantity? Yes. What in the record supports five kilograms separate and apart from her drug quantity? So the defendant's arguments for insufficiency here all rely on when the defendants joined the conspiracy. Um, and here there was ample evidence that Keenan Hosea joined the conspiracy before, at least by 2012. And that the security guard Eric Lee testified that drug dealers were openly selling drugs in OK Corral Fort Worth bathroom as far back as 2009. And when he told his supervisors about it, they told him to leave it alone. Then you have drug dealer Mendoza Martinez testified that Juan Lord, the main distributor at Hinojosa's Dallas House, was distributing it at Far West as far back as 2008. And then Laura testified that by 2012, he was regularly distributing in the Dallas clubs, either himself or through his workers. So, when is the relevant time period according to government for each of the three defendants that we're talking about today? When is the relevant time? He also said since 2012. Yes. So, when was their time period? 
the evidence shows that they joined the conspiracy at least by 2012. All of them in 2012? Yes. And you believe it's 2012 is the relevant date for each of these defendants? Yes. And from 2000, if you go from 2012 forward, is there evidence in the record of five kilos? How do you get there? Am I saying there's some sort of chart you show the jury or something? There, in our case, we outline that. But even more generously, I think that even if they only started in 
purpose. You don't need the defendant to join in the purpose of the drug dealer that they're allowing on their property. Because in this case, the facts were that these defendants did join in that purpose. That's what makes them liable for a drug conspiracy as well. So contrary to what Kena-Mosa argues, not every Section 856A2 defendant is going to also be guilty of conspiracy. It's only in those unique cases where the defendant joins in the purpose of the drug dealer that they're allowing onto their property. And here you have that because Kena's poses and his management team's interests were perfectly aligned with the drug dealers. They wanted them to deal on their clubs because it made their customers happy and increased their business. Can you talk about the money laundering expert? Why was that completely irrelevant and prejudicial? The money laundering expert, that testimony, the district court didn't abuse its discretion in finding it relevant because it was relevant to Count 21. Was it objected to timely by all the defendants? Yes, it was objected to. Kena-Mosa gave the most robust objection to it and then caused a joint committee with that. I mean, because you can say, he could say structuring and explain what structuring is to avoid bank accountability without talking about, oh, I'm going to launder this money through this other business, et cetera. You could have very easily done it, tailored the testimony to the actual charge rather than expanding it so much to totally uncharged crimes that are very prejudicial. To prove, I mean, much of this dispute was his intent. Did he knowingly, intentionally cause the bank to file a false report? And did he do it with the purpose of evading the reporting requirements? So if he, as everybody testified, is engaged in practices that are consistent with money laundering, then that makes it much more likely that, yes, he was purposely trying to avoid reporting requirements and he did intentionally and knowingly file a false, cause the bank to file a false report because he was trying to hide the true source of the funds. So it tended to prove a fact that was important, which was a dispute for Count 21, basically Kena-Mosa's intent. Do you have a case that says that's okay? A case? That would say that even if it is very prejudicial with other crimes that are not indicted, then it's appropriate to do that? It would mostly be the cases, I guess, Gallant and Ceballos.
But even if the court disagrees that admission of the testimony was not, was harmless, especially with regards to the only defendant disputing it here, which is Casas. Because Casas' counsel emphasized in closing that Eric Lee's testimony had nothing to do with his client. The government didn't argue otherwise. They never argued it had anything to do with Casas. And there was overwhelming evidence of Casas' guilt. So even if the court finds that it was error to admit Eric Lee's testimony, it was harmless. And if the court has no further questions, I will rest on our briefs and ask the court to affirm. I'm sorry, could you talk about the Bruton alleged Bruton violation a little bit? All right. So the statement that the defendants, Casas and Rodriguez, complained about is that Kina Hosa said that it could have been the manager or the promotions guy that brought customer complaints to him. Now, on its face, that statement does not directly implicate Casas or Rodriguez. It does not refer them to them by name, nickname, or some unique physical description. It doesn't replace the proper name with an obvious blank. And under the Supreme Court's recent decision in Samia, that resolves the issue. The statement does not directly implicate Casas and Rodriguez. Notably, Samia holds that remains true even where other trial evidence indicated that Samia was the other person involved in his co-defendant's statement. Under Samia, the court will not flyspeck or scrutinize the trial record for evidence that could give rise to an inference that the statement is referring to the defendants. But even if this court were to scrutinize the record and see if there's any evidence that could give rise that Kina Hosa was implicating them, even when linked with other record evidence, his reference to the manager or the promotions guy could have referred to a number of individuals because there were multiple managers and promoters at the club. And even under the unredacted statement of Kina Hosa, it does not clearly point the finger at Casas or Rodriguez because he specifically stated that it could be Noboa, a promoter, or it could be any one of the managers who relayed the complaints to him. Moreover, it's important to look at all the inferences that are required before that statement even becomes incriminatory towards Casas and Rodriguez. You have to infer that manager and promotions guy referred to Casas and Rodriguez. You have to infer that when Kina Hosa said it could be the manager or the promotions guy, that despite sounding equivocal, he was actually confidently pointing the finger at them. And then you have to infer that Casas and Rodriguez relayed those complaints to Kina Hosa because they wanted him to allow drug sales in the club. And then you have to infer that there was a clear agreement to allow drug sales in the club and that Casas and Rodriguez later joined in that agreement. So there's so many inferences you have to make based on so much more linking evidence before the statement even becomes incriminatory. The district court didn't err in finding that it didn't directly implicate them. Okay. Thank you. All right. Each of you ladies has a minute or two for a vote. Okay. One minute. There are not many ways to arrive at over five kilograms of cocaine. There are two ways to arrive. The first is by arguing that Mr. Kina Hosa entered the conspiracy in 2012. There is no evidence of that. The government references two witnesses in support of that assertion, both of whom say that there were managers or 
informed of those conversations or that he had any knowledge of drugs that was occurring prior to July of 2014. The second way that the government can assert that there was over 5 kilograms of cocaine is by reference to Josephine Hinojosa's 14 kilograms. And our position is, as Judge Elrod has highlighted through some of your questioning, this was completely unrelated. There's no evidence that was presented at trial that Josephine's transportation of 14 kilograms had anything to do with the drug sales that were happening at the clubs. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Knight. Thank you, Your Honor. In terms of the timing, I wanted to point the court to record sites about Rodriguez's knowledge or the time when it could be inferred that he had entered any agreement. The main drug dealer, Juan Lara, in this case, that's where his figures are, where the government's map largely stems from. He testified that there was no agreement between him and anyone in management between 2012 and 2015. And that's at record 
They can't, Mr. Costas cannot, with the help of the others, find out why there is a perpetual odor of marijuana at uh, Medusa, but ultimately they discover, and he reports it, that they are grinding out the cigars and putting uh, marijuana in the cigars, and they solve it that way. And that is consistent with everything that actually is an act that Mr. Casas did. I also want to, uh, in addition to that, in that conversation, Mr. Penahosa, if I may complete my sentence, says to Mr. Casas, sometimes we just have to, Mike, we just have to live with the fact that being aggressive in the clubs will reduce attendance. Thank you. All right, thank you very much.